0: Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS, now the always entertaining Chris Zabalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. You know, I got to tell you, it's that time of the week again to go Inside EMS, and uh, it's a beautiful summer, it's a beautiful day, and we got some beautiful people here that we're going to talk to today, and first off is my good friend, my shadow, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you?
1: I have I have long wanted to be known as one of the beautiful people. I'm I'm glad you finally recognized that and uh and I appreciate it, man. You
0: know, I I'm, know a lot of people don't notice, <laughs> but I know that back in the 80s when Brooke Shields did that commercial Don't hate Me Because 'cause I'm beautiful, she actually got that from you.
1: It, yeah, they were basing it on me. They, they were basing so, it on me. They were. So uh, I know that. I know. I'm I'm good, man. I've uh I'm tired uh just got back from from uh, Seminole, Texas, lecturing at a, a small EMS conference out there. Uh, it's tough to drive from central Louisiana to the New Mexico border in one night and get up and, and lecture on four hours of sleep, but I uh, managed to do it.
0: What, so, you don't, what you don't do for the Kelly Grayson EMS World I Tour.
1: To. That's right. That's I want right. to be the of, out of your fan club. Straight fun. out of Pitkin.
0: That's right. we got to get <laughs> you a shirt that call. says that.
1: <laughs> straight out of Pitkin. So... Um, and and just close the books on my uh on my emt class and and put them through their national registry uh practical exam uh on friday and it it went well so
0: well good man let us know when we get somebody on we've been talking about it forever i'm not going to ask you again
1: we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up totally and and uh, but I'm proud of those guys. They made they had like a ninety percent pass fail rate on the on the practicals and uh, I'm sure it'll be a hundred percent on the uh, on the retest day.
0: Awesome man, that's great to hear and and that's what you want. And I think that that's the great measurement of a course, you know, isn't the interaction and isn't the you know the people that are coming. It's it's how they're able to uh, finish. And then finally get in the mm-hmm. career field and do that work. I mean, there's a lot of yep. people that go through all this. And then, you know, you know as well as I do, they don't even work in the field one day. And it uh, it kind of bothers you. as a, As an instructor, you give so much time in that, you know. So... We do have another beautiful person waiting in the wings. And, and let's go ahead and set up and, and why we're we going to bring him in here. And you need to be on your best behavior. And uh, of course, with the utmost of respect, Kelly. And, uh, you know, I don't like to kind of talk do to I you have that to, way.
1: Do I have to get off the beanbag chair and put clothes no, on? No, I mean,
0: just don't talk about it. Just don't talk oh, about okay. it. But here's the oh. thing so, you know, in EMS, you know, we, we really think about modern day EMS as, as just 50 years old. And there's a lot of things and a lot of pioneering and a lot lot of things that still have to be done. I mean, when we talk about clinical care, we really don't know the medicines that work. We really don't Mm -hmm. know the practices if we're making differences. And there needs to be something. Something has to come about that we're able to kind of take some data and take some analysis and and kind of make sure that we're doing the right job and, and that we're helping people and I think there's some great initiatives out there. You've got, you know, the Mobile Integrated Healthcare uh, folks, they've got uh, committees out there that they're trying to come up with uh, metrics and of course we've had, uh, you know, folks on to talk about the EMS Compass project uh-huh. where they're starting to build those initiatives for uh, metrics that we could start measuring. Well, our uh, guest is going to be the editor-in-chief of EMS1, Greg Fries, and we're going to talk about the EMS trend report that just came out, and with no further ado, let's bring him in here, our favorite person in the whole world, Greg Fries. Greg, how
1: are you? Our dear leader. Our fearless (laughs) leader, Greg Fries, that's right.
2: Thanks for that impressive welcome to be not only considered beautiful, but your most favorite person. Uh, I'm just I'm walking on tippy toes right now. My head is in the clouds. Well, I, I, read, it, I
0: read it just the way you wrote it.
2: Isn't okay, that- great.
0: <laughs> so it's, what is that? So, you know, Greg, I'm glad you're here. And anytime you get to come on the show, I think that, uh, you know, we really have a good time and we have a lot of fun. But I think this is an important show. And you know, recently, EMS1, uh, along with NEMSMA and uh, Fitch and Associates, collaborated on an EMS uh, trend report. And just for the folks that didn't have the opportunity to see it, maybe just give them an overview about what this report is, what it means, and uh, what it means to the future of EMS.
2: Sure, Chris. So we'll put a link to the trend report, the 2016 trend report, into the show notes and This, uh, though it's labeled 2016, uh, the project actually started in 2015 with uh, Fitch, NEMSMA, EMS1. And what we wanted to do is try to, instead of taking a snapshot of EMS at a moment in time, we wanted to start looking at how EMS is changing over time. So uh, the first thing that happened in 2015 is, Uh, Fitch put out a call for participants looking for EMS agencies that, you know, maybe five years or more will participate in this project each year answering questions so we can see what's changing in clinical care, operations, uh, all different facets of EMS. More than 500 agencies uh, answered the call to, yes, we'd be willing to participate, which was really outstanding. From there, the Fitch team... Uh, narrowed the field to a little more than 100 agencies uh, representative of different types, uh, fire-based, volunteer, hospital-based, private, not-for-profit, the sort of gamut of EMS agencies, both in terms of type, size, and location across the country. And then from there, just under 100 agencies participated in completing a fairly arduous uh, survey process with the Fitch team And they've agreed that they'll participate for years to come. So the 2016 report gives us a starting point, a foundation of where we're at now and a year from now and on into the future. We'll be able to look back and hopefully see some, you know, what's changing, what's getting, you know, is things staying the same or are they moving incrementally or huge changes?
1: One of the things that strikes me about the surveys that we've done in the past and similar similar enterprises uh, is that that um, agencies have typically self-selected and and the the players change from year to year on these on these surveys. So it's uh, which makes the data rather suspect if if you're not measuring the same thing from the same agency from one year to the next. So, I find it heartening that you you've got over 100 agencies who have committed to uh, being our canaries, I guess, in the coal mine, uh-huh. show us, uh, show how things are are going for them. Uh, yeah, uh, for years to come. That's that's pretty nice.
2: Well, and just the uh, I think it's even more impressive that more than 500 agencies said, yeah, we'd be willing to participate. And then the Fitch team had to narrow that uh, to a a manageable list that's uh, representative of different types of service and areas around the country.
0: You know, I think that one of the things that that I have the question of is that as you're gathering this data and as this is going to go over the next uh, how many years, I mean, just really quick, how many years are you going to look to do this trend report? Is there going to be like Uh, a, a time limit or? So we're hoping it will be at least five years. Okay. So... So my question then goes to the fact of, what do we hope to do with this data? So is this something that we're going to see year after year, and as we start to see progression in, let's say, clinical care or, or the uh, you know, doing away with response time compliance, is this something that our career field is going to look to adopt to say, this is the best practice? Or what's the intent of this report?
2: So I think there's uh, several intents, Chris. One is just to see where we're at now and how we're changing over time. I think many EMS leaders uh, often have interest in what their peers are doing, whether it be uh, agencies they're comparable to or agencies that are maybe bigger or smaller or in different places. So, it's just a chance to see a bigger picture of uh, what's going on in the world around you. Uh, you know, could it lead to some recommendations of, like, best practices or different practices? I suppose it, it could. Um, and I think it's also going to be a way for, uh, you know, leaders and, um, you know, there's any number of us that serve EMS, you know, EMS1 is a publisher and producer of content to be thinking about what the needs are of our industry and our profession you know maybe we'll be able to glean some insights from that as well
1: well you know one one thing that struck me uh, struck me rather funny uh, in in reading the report was a comment from uh rob wiley in the in the roundtable discussion he said you know they're uh he he quoted the old uh, aphorism that uh, in EMS the only things that EMS hates uh, equally is uh, change and the way things are right now, right. <laughs> and that's true. That is you know, funny. I've I've got a friend that says you know if if the IRS knew much we like to gripe and complain they tax it as a job benefit, um, but. You know what? What we would change, we must first measure, and mm-hmm. and I think this is this. What we need to find out where we are right now um, to see, you know, have some perspective looking back on on uh, how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. You know when when Justin Shore and and Chris Kaiser and some of the other EMS bloggers out there started this this EMS 2.0 movement, um, and and I never squash anyone's zeal uh, at at changing and their and shaping the future of their profession, but it kind of uh, it made me chuckle because uh, probably three quarters of the things they were talking about, like they were new ideas, were part of the EMS agenda for the future, which just which just turned twenty years old. That's amazing. <laughs> um, you know and. and as much as I look back, and Chris and Greg, you you may agree or disagree. I look back at, at the beginning of my career and how much different EMS is as a profession than when I started, uh, and, and and I'm heartened by that. And then I go travel somewhere and go to other parts of the country, and I find those EMS agencies at time forgot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're still a and reading the, the trend report, there's still a great deal of vari- uh, variability in, in everything from, from finances to, to uh, clinical measures and, and how they actually uh, assess themselves and how they, uh, how they, they track their own effectiveness.
2: You know, Kelly, that brings up uh, what I think is my number one takeaway from the first year of the report, and it's the variability. And yeah. you, it leads the report. Jay Fitch writes, you know, if you've seen one EMS system, you've seen one EMS system, another uh, tried and true uh, adage. And, you know, what's really striking to me you know, 20 years after the EMS agenda for the future and 50 years after uh, the white paper on uh, trauma, death, and disability in the United States, like why it's, it's still acceptable for this norm to be that we have so much variability. And, you know, one of the things I wonder about in the years ahead, if we'll see some increasing homogeneity in EMS through uh, consolidation and mergers, and then also, you know, people just recognizing that wow, we are the EMS agency that time forgot. Is this, uh, you know, this isn't acceptable any longer? Um, and then just as awareness about what other changes are happening in EMS, maybe reach more places than they have in the last uh, twenty years. You know, that variability piece, uh, I yeah. I also find really striking.
1: You know, we we cling to this conceit in EMS uh, that, uh, or or we're fond of saying that EMS at its heart is a local uh, a local issue, Uh, but. and, and how to answer the the emergency medical services needs of your community is is a local decision. But we still cling to this conceit that a CHFer in Pennsylvania uh, is somehow different than a CHFer in in New Orleans or or in San Francisco. And we have such wide variability in how these people are treated. Um, it's about time we we integrated with the rest of the healthcare system and, and established some best practices, or at least started following some of the best Best practices in in other parts of healthcare.
2: Well, so I, I want to give you one example from the report that really points at uh, a discrepancy, and you know, possibly we haven't decided what's the best way to measure something, and that has to do with when the clock starts for a response time. Oh yeah. So forty seven percent of uh, the respondents say the response time clock starts at the end of dispatch. So. Units are notified and they're on their way. Another 26% says, nope, response time starts when the phone gets answered, which if I'm the person making the 911 call, I suspect that's the clock that's starting in my head. But then another 15% said they didn't start until uh, the location of the call and the call type was determined. And then there was another 12% that said, well, we start response time when uh, the first uh, keystroke is made on the CAD system, so all of those I could I could make an argument for those being reasonable measures. Uh, but response time is one of the few ways that uh, elected officials and regulators uh, that aren't a part of EMS understand and can sort of wrap their head around. And you know whether it's a meaningful metric on clinical care, I think you know for mm-hmm. most cases it's not. But as long as we're reporting it and measuring it, elected officials are going to be interested in it and keep asking about it. But this uh, variability piece—it's really striking, Uh, and we don't even um, know—you know—how do we guide the industry towards picking one and then sort of making that the uh, practice across across all EMS systems?
0: And I think that one of the challenges is this. I mean, it's not the fact that there's variability. It's the fact that there's really no oversight. So when we talk about response time compliance and somebody goes in and says the best practice is 8 minutes and 59 seconds, or someone says the best practice is 11 minutes or whatever it is, there's nobody who's saying that the best practice is this. One of the things that I got out of the report was of all these agencies Um, Nearly every agency reported the use of CPAP, and then it goes on to say that 15 years ago, not everybody was doing it. Well, what was the, the standard that changed and moved everybody to say that, you know, CPAP is the standard of care. Well, that's what it came down to. It came down to saying that this was the standard of care, and if you're not doing this on your ambulances, you are not treating your patients effectively. When we talk about response time compliance, and we talk about the, when the phone lifts up, or we talk about the first keystroke, or we talk about when the ambulance is dispatched, there's nobody saying what the best practice is, and that's why people are doing it the way that they want to do it.
1: Well, you, you know, when we talk about response times, yeah, you uh, you've got people that say eight minutes and fifty nine seconds uh, uh, or less ninety percent of the time, and 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 uh, agency A is is crowing that uh, oh yeah we, we make that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, what they don't say is that they they measure from. Uh, they they measure the the time from when the unit is is dispatched uh, and they've got a shoot time of three or four minutes <laughs> so right. kind of blows that out of the water um, but I, I think one of the the reasons that response time remains such a uh, measure that we we focus on you know and and EMS is, is also famous for uh, believing that just because we can measure something that it should be measured Um but using your your example, Chris, with the CPAP, I think the reason CPAP uh, became so prevalent and it took uh, and it took off and and became more or less standard of care around the country is because of uh, integration with the rest of the healthcare system. We started looking at things like uh, I don't, I don't survival know, hospital discharge. Kelly, huh? I don't. I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't no. agree to that.
0: By the guard, no, I'll let you, I, I'll let I you finish your thought. But go well, ahead. I'll,
1: I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because hospitals uh, hospitals started looking at at uh, ventilator associated pneumonia and 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 uh, reimbursement rates and the the clinical uh, DRGs the reimbursement guidelines for CHF and they realized wow all these people that come in intubated uh, are a huge money loser for us. How can we how can we get uh, uh, our, our patients uh, treated adequately that are brought in by EMS um, without pulling the trigger on intubation and, and possibly making their clinical course a lot stormier. Um, and CPAP was, was the answer. Um, and, and they were trying to do it more in the emergency department, and, with it, and they realized that we were still getting plenty of, of very sick patients brought in with endotracheal tubes by EMS, uh, and they started pushing that out into the field. Uh, Memorial Hermann in... Uh, in Houston, being one of the the prime examples, and how they they outfitted all the ambulances in Harris County with CPAP uh, flow generators and, and patient circuits uh, free of charge because that saved them money in the long run, uh, and, and that was one of the you know one of the uh, the first uh, first systems that started doing it widespread. But when it comes to response times, we're in our own little silo. You know, there's nothing really to link uh, response times to patient outcomes, um, and and the hospitals just really don't care what our response time was as long as we bring them a viable patient.
2: You know, there is an interesting question that asked: uh, Do you believe VMS is becoming more integrated into the overall healthcare system, which I think addresses. Uh, uh, Kelly's point. And uh, the great majority of respondents uh, selected either strongly agree or agree, uh, which was actually pretty surprising to me, um, uh, sort of given uh, how often we hear about EMS not being connected, not learning, say, what patient outcomes are, maybe not uh, participating in uh, public health initiatives or Uh, being aware of the importance that uh, EMS might play. And so I was uh, actually pretty surprised and it's kind of a odd question for a trend report because so many people agreed uh, at the year one, it will be, you, you know, any change in this likely isn't going to be very meaningful. Like, you know, do people move from agree to strongly agree or from strongly to agree to really, really, really agree? You know, it's hard to know. Uh, Chris, I want to mention one other thing that's, uh, you know, it was written about several people in the round table that Kelly referred to as part of the return report, a uh, comment on this. And, you guys both know that I'm a longtime advocate that uh, paramedics should have a degree, uh-huh. at least an associate's degree, uh, hopefully uh, then striving for even more education, bachelor degree, and I would be thrilled once we have more paramedics with master's degrees and PhDs. There was a question that asked uh, respondents, you know, do you feel that uh, par- something to the should paramedics uh, have a degree requirement? More than 60% of the people that answered the survey said yes. And then there was another question that said, you know, sense a trap coming here. Uh, What do you say, Mm -hmm. Kelly? Beware uh, dragons ahead. (laughs) So there was a question that asked, um, does your agency require paramedics to have a degree? And less than 10% of the respondents uh, work for an agency, and these are EMS leaders, mind you, uh, where they require a degree uh, for their paramedics. And I just thought that uh, disconnect between uh, what they want and what they require will be a really interesting thing to monitor over the years ahead. Well, Dr. McNeil pointed out, uh,
1: and, and I agree with him in the roundtable discussion, that that. Uh, Degree requirements uh, are um, problematic in that uh, right now reimbursement doesn't support the additional education, and, and many systems are, are operating on a razor-thin margin. Uh, and, you know, another, one of the things you measured there in the in the trend report was that personnel costs are mm-hmm. like 24% of, of most agencies' budgets um, uh, or even more. Um, but, uh, you know, Adding educational requirements and a two-year degree and, and, and college education uh, for two years uh, to that uh, is going to drive up those, those salaries and personnel costs. And can we afford it? We uh, are we do we need to have more education to justify greater pay, or do we going to have to change the reimbursement system, reimbursement system to be able to uh, affect educational changes? Uh, that's the, the thorny issue there. Um, I'm. I say yes, all of the above. Yeah. My personal my personal opinion is I think it's going to wind up being like other allied health professions that implemented degree requirements. It's going to be painful and not beneficial, uh, or not directly beneficial to the current generation of paramedics. Uh, I'm not going to see my pay uh, increase because of uh, uh, a degree requirement, but the paramedics that come after me and the paramedics that come after them will. Uh, It's just going to be a painful uh, a painful transition.
0: You know, it was really interesting, and, and it, it, this is a discussion that I think we need to have, and, you know, we, we've certainly been talking about, you know, EMS, you know, for the past, uh, you know, uh, 25 years of what we need to do and how we need to get there, And but it's going to be documentation like this and reports like this that are really going to give us the the foundation to say... When are we going to start building and when are we going to move this forward? And I got to tell you, you know, from EMS1, from NEMSPA, the National EMS Management Association, of course, uh, Fitch and Associates, you know, th- this is really a home run, I think, for our career field. And so, Greg, are we talking about this time next year that we'll see round two or, or what's the plan for that?
2: Uh, so we're just uh, beginning conversations uh, with the Fitch team about the the next round of data collection and uh, this year, we timed the release of uh, the report to the uh, Pinnacle EMS Leadership Forum, which happened in mid-July in uh, San Antonio. I think uh, next year, I, I'm hopeful that we'll be uh, publishing the, the 2017 version with the 2016 data added to it earlier in the year, uh, precisely when uh, that remains to be seen. I think, uh, like I said, the link for the 2016 report will be in the show notes. Then I'll also encourage readers to uh, keep watching EMS1 for additional content on this. There's more data available than what we did share in our initial trend report, so I think there's going to be a few additional articles in the months ahead based on some of the other findings uh, in the report.
0: I'll tell you, it's awesome. It's awesome, and and uh, I, I think this is really what we're going to, you know, need to move forward. So, but uh, I got to tell you, it's always great when you come on the show, Greg, because uh, Kelly really stays in his uh, on his best behavior. So mm-hmm. I would ask you to kind of do that on a regular basis and uh, <laughs> kind of join us every so often, if not uh, just a cameo every so often. But you know, Greg Fries, I know you're busy. I want to be respectful of your time, and uh, you know, thanks for joining us on the show.
2: You're welcome. I actually do have one final comment and. Chris, uh, astute listeners will probably realize that uh, speaking of Kelly's behavior, most of the time he isn't live on the show with me. His, uh, <laughs> he's spliced in afterwards. So, uh, too often we're recording without him, and then later on he, he gets a chance to uh, listen, and then you cleverly splice him in. But, uh, like I said, your astute listeners probably realize that. And, uh, Kelly, I do appreciate the chance to talk to you uh, live. I this time rather than uh guessing how you might cleverly uh respond to me well, kelly grayson well, is well, always never, with us
0: in spirit
1: he's always never with us let spirit. it be said that i was afraid to do my greg freeze impression with greg there in person hi this is greg freeze welcome to ems educast you know
0: that's good <laughs> that's good kelly that's good <laughs> all, right. All, right. all
2: right well i hope i get a chance to see both of you face to face real soon have yeah. a great uh, thanks for letting me be on the show Thanks,
0: Greg. Thanks for coming, Greg. Kelly, go ahead and get us up on out of here. I think that we've got uh, got the end of the show, and uh, let's uh, put this one to bed.
1: Yeah, it's a meaty discussion, and there's there's a lot of uh, fodder for good discussion there in the EMS Trend Report, and we'd like to hear from our listeners. You guys are discerning people, and you've got good ideas. We want to know what you think about the EMS Trend Report. So give us your your concerns, comments, questions, and thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero and our fearless leader, Greg Fries, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Catch you guys next week.